0: Welcome to Peak Market Watch, bringing listeners the latest news in the commercial real estate industry. Every other Wednesday, Anton Matley from Peak Financing will interview a variety of investors, brokers, syndicators, vendors, and finance experts who live and breathe commercial real estate. Whether you are a commercial real estate professional or completely new to the industry, Peak Market Watch will give you an inside look into the state of the market from experts who know it best. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Peak Financing uh, Market Watch. We speak with market leaders in commercial real estate and related services who have a close pulse uh, on the current market environment. My name is Anton Madley, CEO of Peak Financing, and my co-host today is Ferris Musa, one of my fellow board members, who is also a principal with this rapid equity uh, that uh, act- actively invests in and manages multifamily properties. Uh, we are honored to welcome Colin Cross, who is Managing Director at Hunt Real Estate Capital, one of the leading multifamily agency lenders, including programs from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Hutt. Uh, welcome, Colin. It is a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, why don't you give us a brief background of your career as well as uh, Hunt's activities?
0: Thanks, Anton. Very nice to be here today. And uh, thanks, Feras, as well. Uh, yes, Colin. A Hunt Real Estate Capital. I've uh, been in the business since uh, 2008, uh, all in multifamily finance, uh, previously with uh, a different agency lending shop and with uh, Hunt Real Estate Capital and our predecessor companies for the last eight years here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, focusing primarily on, uh, like like you said, Anton, multifamily financings through the agencies, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and HUD, as well as uh, with, uh, with our new acquisition, of our firm from uh, Oryx USA, who is uh, our, our parent company now. They have access to uh, a large balance sheet that we're able to do uh, um, floating rate bridge, transitional bridge lending, as well as mezzanine financing for multifamily and a few other unique products, occasionally some, uh, some JV equity or, uh, or pref equity uh, positions as well. So kind of all across the uh, multifamily space and uh, happy to be here today and talk to you about uh, what's going on right now.
2: Glad to have you on Colin. We've definitely done a lot of deals with you and you know you're
0: definitely one of the easiest most reliable guys to work with so definitely a pleasure to have you going. Thank um, you Ferris and you guys are great as well so appreciate no it. So maybe uh, let's let's kick it off right
2: 2019 versus 2020 right let's kind of maybe get ahead and just go straight to the to the elephant in the room right you know kind of we're, we're obviously late 2020 right near in the fall and you know what has been kind of I guess maybe my question is really ultimately what has been the difference right with what Fannie is starting to position kind of outlook kind of forward-looking and what requirements are they starting to to really put in place and things are starting to dig into?
0: Sure. Yeah. Amazingly um, on the agency front, it honestly hasn't been that different of a year when it comes to uh, kind of their volumes and what their focus has been. Um, You know, over the last several years they've had uh, their federal regulator, that has uh, kind of been overseeing everything for them and managing their cap numbers of the amount of volume that they can do, uh, making sure that they're focusing on affordable housing business that drives, you know, uh, that B and C apartment space and uh, and, and that renter uh, pool. And so this year, they already had their caps in place from late, from late last year, and they have $80 billion each for Fannie and Freddie to hit for this year. And if you look at where they are year to date right now, I think Fannie Mae just came out with something uh, fairly recently that as of August of this year, their total volume of loans closed was 43.1 billion. Whereas in 2019, they were 45.2 billion. So if you and I think Freddie Mac has said that they're in the pretty much in the same position or so. So really, what you you know, at the end of the day, they're kind of in the same position they were last year, Obviously, COVID and, and the, the market uh, shakeups back in March and April really kind of set things off on a little bit of a different path in that um, you know, the interest rate environment was really what has been the driver behind uh, all of that business that they've been able to do through uh, kind of this, uh, this, this recessionary period. And so, um, but in terms of, of um, kind of what their focus is, it's still affordable housing, it's still mission driven business. It's still making sure that they're working with great sponsors who have good experience and are, uh, and, are, and are out looking at good deals and putting good money behind their deals. So from that perspective, really things are, are kind of the same as they have been with the agencies. And that's been nice, obviously, as, uh, as other sectors have been uh, in a bit of turmoil. Borrowers um, are able to have a little bit of that, uh, that clarity that they're able to, uh, to always rely on the agencies.
2: Yeah, so so high level, they're still doing
0: deals, right? I mean, it sounds like
2: really about five percent. It sounds like it's where they're off in terms of relative to last year and total deals done. But um, maybe to kind of distill it down, right, for for the listeners, what can people see today on? Let's just say you're doing a straight regular Fannie ten year note, right? What can people see in terms of you know IO leverage and um, and uh, interest rate? Sure. Yeah. So uh, what are you um, seeing currently? Right. Well,
0: yeah, what what we're seeing currently is that, um, you know, back back in March and April, there was a little bit of a, uh, I would say, a pushback from the agencies to say, okay, you know, acquisitions, obviously, as we all know, were pretty much off the table at the time. No one was really transacting on anything. So the focus was, I think at the time it was Close to 85 or 90% of the business that they were doing was just straight refinances because you were seeing the interest rates drop from, you know, mid to high threes that were in January, February, March, down into the high to mid twos at the time. Things have settled back in kind of in that plus or minus 3% range here recently on what we consider to to be full leverage type of deals, which would be, you know, plus or minus 75% on an LTV, a 125 debt cover. Um, you know, on a 10 or a 12 year term, you can usually look to see, you know, three to four years of interest only on the 12s, maybe two plus or minus two or three on a 10. But again, all of that is really based on um, kind of how the deal underwrites, what the cash flow looks like, how much are you really pushing that cash flow to try to get to maximum dollars. And then that may be a little bit of a push and pull then with how much interest, interest only you can get uh, on those deals. But I would say on average, you know, on a good refinance or acquisition deal, expect to get something in that 75% range and maybe a couple of years of interest only on a, on a longer term fixed.
1: So that's still extremely good compared to any other asset class, right? So <laughs> we, we always have to see it in perspective, right? Uh, I know every, uh, a lot of borrowers are not happy about uh, uh, the tighter or underwriting. Uh, and obviously the, the principal and interest uh, reserves that are now uh, required, but at least you're still able to get very attractive financing for multifamily. So I think that's really always important to see and compare it with all the other asset classes out there. When it comes to the P&I reserves, do you, uh, do you see any uh, kind of loosening that might be on the horizon, uh, either from, uh, from Fannie or Freddie?
2: Well, in addition to answering that question, maybe it'd be good for the listeners to explain because the PI reserve is the new thing that changed. Right. right in the past, so maybe if you can quickly explain what that is, what changed, and then maybe kind of continue on to Anton's question.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, like you said, Ferris, that was the one big change uh, that really came out of the COVID uh, response. Uh, you know, in addition to obviously, the, you know, ma- managing forbearance and evictions and things like that on the front end. Both agencies said, you know, hey, we're doing a ton of refinances right now. We're probably going to push back a little bit on, you know, your cash out back in March, April, and May. And they've kind of loosened off of that definitely in the last several months, where there's not any, you know, significant restrictions like there were previously on the amount of cash out over your initial loan uh, that you can get on a new refinance. But what has been implemented, like you said, is the the principal and interest reserves. Previously, I think Fannie Mae even had some uh, replacement reserve, uh, extra reserves as well uh, that they've since gone away with. So right now it's just principal and interest, meaning on most deals, you're looking at anywhere between nine and 12 months of your debt service payments that you would normally pay um, as part of your monthly payments for your loan. Uh, The lender is gonna look to hold back that amount of money at the closing table from the dollars that we fund out And put it in an escrow account just to make sure that you know I mean if you talk about kind of what's coming up down the pike here you know collections have still been been a little bit off uh, nationwide right now occupancies have been slowly dripping down a little bit uh, as we go along the few months here and so just in case that there is you know a second wave or some other things start happening obviously there could be volatility coming at the end of the year that we're all aware of um the agencies feel like this is a prudent way to have a little bit of funds set aside for borrowers to draw upon if they need them to cover um you know to cover any payment shortages that they may have if all of a sudden you get some uh you know some big move outs um you know or non-payers uh, you know we've obviously got an eviction moratorium we can talk about a little bit more uh, later on but that's you know, something that's trying to keep renters in place and trying to keep folks paying rents. But um, you know, just in case they don't, we've got that principle and interest set aside for borrowers to drop down upon. We have to keep it for about 12 months uh, as an initial term. And then after 12 months, actually I think it's now six months uh, initial term, and then we start testing it after that six month period. And if, uh, as long as your property is operating at the, the, the debt service levels that it was initially, then we'll start looking to release those funds back out to borrowers. So usually somewhere between that six and 12 month range, we can start taking a look at, uh, you know, releasing those funds out if the property doesn't look like it's going to need it.
2: So actually, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's not enough information out there about this specific point, right? About the p So it sounds like six months is actually when you probably can release it if the, the property's humming, it sounds like 12 months is the back end of that. Is, it, is there any case you guys would go longer than 12 months? And as a borrower, if I intentionally just choose to not pay my note and say I want to pay it out of the P&I, is there any risk to that? Right. Is it just that I'm going to have to wait the 12 months or, you know, is, the, is there any other ramifications to kind of be aware of?
0: Yeah. So, um, so really there is like a, like, a, like a moratorium period, a lockout period where. We don't touch the funds. The funds are just sitting there in the escrow and they're there for you to use if you'd like, even, you know, in month one, like you said, if you're start all of a sudden you close on a deal, it's month one, you get in there and it turns out you bought a deal and, and the seller had been, you know, stacking it, you know, God forbid and it's not going to be the case, but had been stacking it with short-term tenants or something like that. And all of a sudden you get a bunch of big move outs, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're not able to make your payment on your loan. Those funds are there for you to draw on starting month one. That you can uh, you can start using the six month period is really the first point where we can just release funds based on the strength of the of the property operations in of itself, but really that six month period, especially on fannie Mae deals it 's kind of the beginning point for us to test what the operations have been doing, so really what we 're doing is at the six month period we 're going to go and get you know the latest trailing twelve trailing six operating statements. And we're going to take a look at what the cash flows look like and say, okay, things are looking great. Things look like they're, you know, they're running at or above where we expected them to run at the beginning of the loan process. Let's go ahead and and check it right now. And then we can start focusing on, uh, on getting those funds back out to you, uh, you know, within the next quarter or so, I think is kind of how that's been playing out. Obviously we're still very early in this. So we haven't had too many instances of this uh, actually going into play. So we're just uh you know kind of going by what the guidelines are saying, but to my understanding that's how uh, some of that will work and then, to what you said on on you know as a borrower, if uh, you know you want to start you know immediately drawing upon those funds to make a non payment, you know those funds are available to you. However, when you come in to do that, there's going to be some additional information that the lenders going to ask you for related to okay, explain to me what the situation is. Talk to me about why it is that you're going to start drawing down upon this and you're not able to make your payment. Do we need to discuss the forbearance options that might be available to you, uh, you know, in addition to drawing upon these funds? So it's not that you wouldn't be able to access them immediately. Really, it's more, you know, do you do you talk to your lender? Does your lender talk to you and say, okay, how can we work something out here? And that's where, again, having a great relationship with your lender and the servicing folks behind the scenes is just critical in these uh, in these kind of volatile times
1: yeah so i think that the answer really is right yes you can draw from it if there is a need but don't just think that if you have strong cash flow that you just don't pay right right yeah no, no, and then there's
2: always a need and i guess i'm just trying to understand you know as a borrower right you're always looking at what all the different options you have are and so that's kind of where that question comes from, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's always the case, and we've seen this, where you're doing rehab, the draw takes a lot longer, so now what are your options, right? Do you have that vendor continue to wait until that draw gets approved? Do you pay, you know, what, you would have gone your note and say, you know what, I want to pay it out of the attrition reserve, you know, kind of play that, that, that spread a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But are there any negative ramifications of going, to, you know, let's say you take forbearance aside. If you decide right. to go use the P and I. I mean, is there are you is it frowned upon, right? Are you looked at negatively on the next deal?
0: No, I mean at the end of the day, that is your money as the borrower. And it's there as a, you know, as a tool for the lender to have a little bit more confidence that there is money set aside in case something were to happen. So at the end of the day, in our position, that is your funds. And we just want to make sure that when you guys are coming in to to draw upon them, that we understand, okay, here's why we probably have to make a note into our files of why they drew down and what they drew down. And here's why, you know, we think that there's going to be a quick ramping back up. That's going to, uh, you know, that's going to keep the property operations running well. At the end of the day, you know, we want the loan to keep, you know, the payments to keep coming in. We want to have no part of, of, you know, getting involved in the day-to-day management or, or running on a deal. We want the borrowers to be doing that. And so really what are, these are one of the tools that we can use to make sure that they've got that available, if they uh if
1: they need it all right that's good to know yeah very good uh colin you you touched on that a little bit earlier with uh loans that that were uh taken out maybe uh two years ago or so uh that that have a little bit more of a of a stress point there if someone wants to refinance or sell a property due to do the high yield maintenance uh that you're facing now uh now, naturally, the, uh, when you look at new deals, then everyone still remembers that uh, uh, what they have to deal with on their existing deals with yield maintenance. And they, if possible, want to go with a little bit of a shorter term fixed rate or go with, uh, with a, a adjustable rate uh, program. Now, uh, particularly on the Fannie side, I think we we have uh, bigger issues with underwriting floors and all that. So maybe if you could tell our listeners what, what are the options if someone doesn't want to go with a 12 year uh, fixed loan, that uh, then potentially exposes them to a very high-yield maintenance. And I think also, right, with larger deals, we have also to deal with that massive premium for a step-down prepay. So certainly mm-hmm. shorter terms and adjustable rates would be great, but maybe you can also explain to us a little bit what the challenges are in going and, in that direction.
2: And before, and before Colin answers this, for those listening, definitely take notes because this is where deals get made. And, you know, I mean, we're, we've been in the situation where we have deals that you know, we can make a ton of money selling them. We're just kind of stuck. You can't really refi. You can't really sell. It doesn't make sense for an assumption. You're kind of stuck. And so we are absolutely considering a lot more of these options moving forward on some of these deals, given just kind of the the new interest rate world that we seem to be kind of staying in for the next several years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, the hottest topic uh, pretty much of the last six months. I think we've probably run more prepayment penalty uh, calculations than we have anything else in uh, in the last six months, and and you know every other month checking it now. What does it look like? Are we down a couple hundred grand? You know, does that help make a deal work? But it's definitely something that uh, you know, uh, you know, in the last several years, as a lot of new folks have been coming into the business and have been coming into the space, you know, what they're looking for is okay, I want the you know, I want the best loan, uh, you know, the highest amount of loan dollars and the lowest possible rate. And how is the, you know, what's the best way for me to get that just to, to start off with? And the answer was always long-term fixed rate, 10, 12 year uh, agency financing with the yield maintenance as your prepay. At the time, the interest, you know, the 10-year treasury was in the mid, mid to high twos. And we're at the, on the lending side saying, you know, these are still historically low rates. You can't really imagine that you're, you know, if you can't make a deal work with a, you know, with a four to four and a quarter all-in rate. Uh, right now where spreads are in the, you know, 100 to 150 basis points and treasuries are in the, you know, two and a half percent range, then, then, you know, that's a a great time to be borrowing money and long term money. And you want to have that, you know, locked in in case something does happen here. What's ended up happening, though, is just what you guys said, is that the treasuries Have been the thing that's fallen off the cliff, you know, down 200 basis points. I think we're at around 65 basis points this morning on the 10 year. And so as a result, those yield maintenance penalties from a couple of years ago, have a huge run up. I mean, we're seeing some that are, you know, 30% of the total uh, unpaid principal balance of the loan, or maybe even higher. That uh, are due, uh, yeah, exactly. That are due uh, if you try to pay it off now, just two or three years later. Whereas, you know, in a normal year, that would be, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, or uh, you know, maybe a, a three to five percent kind of, uh, you know, clip on the on the UPB. So, it's definitely something that's important right now. Anton, to your question. Um, you know, there's lots of different options that are available, but again, the, the question comes down to that push and pull of, are you trying to get the absolute most dollars and the, and the lowest possible rate? And that's, what's going to help make your deal work, or can you maybe do something that's a little bit lower leverage, a little bit lower dollars, put some more equity in. And if you're able to do that, then all of a sudden some more of that, uh, you know, some more of those other options start availing themselves to you, uh, as a borrower. So shorter term. The main thing to know is that if you're looking at a Fannie Mae loan, 10-year business has a 5% underwriting floor, meaning that on every single deal that we look at, we plug a 5% rate on your cash flow. And typically we want to see that be at a 125 debt cover ratio. Obviously, today interest rates are much lower than that. We're in the you know high twos, low threes on most of those deals. So Fannie Mae has allowed us to go down to, you know, around a break-even level or so um, on that 5% floor on, say, a 10-year, and that's the case all the way down the line, but the problem is that can work on a 10-year and kind of keep you in the same uh, range of loan dollars as you would be just on your, you know, current cash flow at a 125 debt cover and, um, and, and the actual rate today. You start going down in shorter terms, seven year, five and a half percent underwriting floor, five year, six and a half, or maybe even six and three quarters today, underwriting floor. So the shorter term you go on those Fannie Mae deals, it's just a way for them that floor is to kind of disincentivize that much volume to come in on those deals because they want to drive business to the longer 10 and 12 year plus deals. Um, And so on that front, you got to make sure you're checking your cash flow trying to test it at what those underwriting floors are. Assume that your lender can probably get a little bit of leeway off that, uh, that 125 cover down to maybe you know a break even 10 or a 105 or a 110 depending on the market. But uh, you know make sure you're plugging that in if you want to look at a shorter term uh, type of hold period. And then just what uh, Anton, you were talking about earlier, declining prepays, they are available, especially on the longer term deals you know, if you're able to get a, and we can talk a little bit about green in a little bit, but for example, on a Fannie Mae deal, if you're able to get a green financing deal today, and that brings your rate down in the two and a half to two and three quarters range, well, then maybe you can still do a declining prepay for an extra 40 basis points or so on, uh, on, on, the, on the top of your spread. And then you still end up with a rate that's in that three to three and a quarter range. And you could still have, uh, you know, your deal work, at the max proceeds you're looking for, but have some prepay flexibility on a step-down basis through, uh, through your term.
2: Yeah, then there's the, there's the argument of, you know, step-down makes sense if you think rates will fall, right? Right. Now the question is, do rates have room to fall further, right? That's one big thing. Um, but you, you know, maybe kind of step back a little bit and kind of recap for the audience, right? So with the financing, it's really a debate between, do I lock in long-term or do I give myself an option to exit sooner? Right. That's what the, the big kind of decision plan is. And, you know, trying to weigh the different options and the pros and cons. And so, you know, with that, I think there's one other piece that I think you kind of, you know, we talked about agency and what that looks like. Right. Being able to get the prepay, et cetera, et cetera. What about floaters? Right. And kind of are you starting to see upticks in those? And, you know, for a borrower. Right. How does that protect the borrower? Right. What can you do to protect it? Maybe it's the question. And, you know, is that attractive or not? Right. And what are the kind of pros and cons?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's leads into perfectly. Yeah. The other option that's been available right now has been floating rate, um, you know, adjustable rate of mortgage loans, especially with, uh, you know, with where, where LIBOR and, and I guess now we're transitioning into SOFR um, as the new index for most of that business. Uh, those indexes are down in the teens right now. And so really you're getting all in rates on that floater. That's probably right in line or so with uh, with what you're seeing on the fixed rate long-term side. So if you want to have a rate, but obviously you're a little bit concerned about, um, you know, things going up uh, in, the, in the next couple of years, because like you said, Farah, there's very little room, honestly, to go down at this point. You know, we've heard from economists uh, recently who have talked about whether there can be negative interest rates here in the U.S. You, you kind of feel like that that's going to be, you know, that'd be a, a, a difficult situation to imagine right now. And so if you don't think that rates are gonna run down right now any much further, then uh, they've only got a a way to go up. And so the fixed rate side obviously covers you on that front, but on the floaters, you get a little bit more flexibility. So normally what happens is you're on a seven or a 10 year floater, if you're doing one of the agency perm loan floaters, where you have a one year lockout after you close your loan, and then you've only got a 1% prepay, Thereafter, for the rest of the loan uh, term, and so uh, on those deals, you've got the same issues on the fixed rates in terms of loan sizing. So on the Fannie Mae deals, you got to make sure you're you're managing on those on those fixed rate floors we talked about. On Freddie Mac deals, they're going to make sure they're hitting to certain low metrics as well, down to about a one zero to a one zero five debt cover uh, on whatever the floating rate is. But what you're really looking at there is all right. Can I get to the most proceeds that I thought I could? You know, maybe be a little bit less on the floater than it is on the fixed. You might be able to match them, but then do I give myself a little bit more flexibility with that uh, with that perm floater? And again, that's for deals that have cash flows that are already pretty stable. Occupancies are good. You've got that cash flow that can support, you know, a 125 minimum coverage uh, on your uh, on your loan amount. Whereas on a lot of deals, as as Barris we've talked about you know, there's still value add plays to be done out there. And so maybe a cash flow is not quite there yet on a deal. We've seen that in the last, call it three months or so, bridge and balance sheet lenders have started coming back into the fold. Whereas a lot of them were, you know, shut down during the, uh, you know, the big part of quarantine back in March, April, May. They're back now, they're lending, you know, rates are a little bit higher than what most people were, you know, used to previously whereas we were seeing spreads in the you know mid to high twos over libor maybe you know this time last year on a lot of that value add call it 75% levered uh you know maybe even up to 80 85% um, type of business today we're seeing those spreads being somewhere in the the mid to high threes even into the low to mid fours over the uh, the indexes because again I think a lot of these lenders, these balance sheet lenders did take, uh, you know, some hits definitely as deals were in the middle of their ramp up period and the middle of their renovations right as COVID hit. So you're seeing a little bit more of a premium on the spreads there, but you're still able to get that, that business. And it's about the same as what it was before, right? Three year terms with a couple of years of, um, uh, of extension options. If you need them, um, you know, normally you're going up to 75, 80, 85% uh, on an LTC and LTV basis. Um, and, um, you know, and those rates are where they are. You can get out of it. It's interest only. It's non-recourse. Get out of it pretty much at any time, um, unless there's a, a very short spread maintenance period at the beginning. You know, that's still business that we see, and we're actually doing some right now, Um uh, and it's, and it's just, you know, one of those things that's definitely a good option for folks.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I guess to me, there's just two additional things. So what can people do to mitigate, right? How do you make it more like a long-term agency, right? And really, you know, that's question number one for those that have never done it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm really, I'm talking about the cap, right? So maybe you can explain that piece of it and that's mm-hmm. what that does, how that looks. And then the other part of that is, are you starting to see an uptick in people doing fanny, Freddie floaters?
0: I think we definitely are, Um, you know, mainly because I think a lot of folks are not really finding that they want to go and take that, you know, significant risk with, you know, a big value add that maybe is a, you know, uh, you know, an 80% occupied, a 70% occupied deal, and they're going to be the ones who are going to ramp it up. I think what you're finding is that sellers are saying, hey, like, we still feel like the cap rate is good here. Rates are low. We don't expect that we should be able to sell this thing for anything lower than what we were maybe before, whereas buyers are saying, hey, I think that there's a a more inherent risk here for this profile of deal, and there's not nearly the amount of lending out there debt options for me that there were 12 months ago, so I need to have a little bit more of, of comfort that I'm getting this thing at a great price. And so we're not seeing nearly as many of those deals getting through on the acquisition side. Um, And then to your question, uh, you know, as well on kind of what you can do to hedge and keep it as something that is more like an agency perm, you know, those types of deals are really for the transitional, you know, the bridge loans are for the transitional deals, the ones that need a little bit more time and seasoning to get to, you know, 85% physical occupancy for three straight months that the agencies need, um, you know, 80, you know, 75 to 80% economic occupancy, um, you know, good, strong collection uh, levels there. These deals are not those. And so those are ramping up a little bit more and, and, and need a little bit more time. What you can do though, is, is as you were mentioning, is you can hedge, um, you know, get a cap for the three-year term, the initial three-year term that you'd have on those bridge loans that can max out the amount of, of increase that your index can go up to. So if you're doing it based on SOFR, it's 15 basis points now you buy a hedge that's maybe at a you know two and a quarter um you know strike rate call it and that's the level that sofer can go up to uh, and all of a sudden your cap kicks in and you're not going to have to pay anything higher than that and so like i said if you've got uh you know spreads that are somewhere in the mid to high threes and you've got a two and a quarter percent you know that the worst case scenario you're going to be paying is around, a, you know, a five and a half to five and three quarter rate. And that can kind of give you a little bit more comfort um, that you're not going to get just underwater on rates running up on us.
1: Yeah, very good. So I, I think the message here is, right, if, it, if it's a property that's uh, uh, fully stabilized, that has a strong cash flow, you have, uh, as a buyer or owner, you have two options, right? You go with a fixed rate that is a long-term uh, and you may get a little bit higher leverage there, but if you want to have that uh, that flexibility, you can go with a adjustable rate uh, program. But more likely than not, you will have to accept a, a lower leverage. Right. Uh, but at least the options are there. Right. Uh, when it comes to the to the bridge side, uh, obviously until uh, COVID nineteen hit. The, bridge market was extremely active. There were a lot of players that came into the game over the last few years, and then everything collapsed, as we know. Uh, Now, you, with, with a very strong backing from OREX, obviously, you have the balance sheet. You do not depend nearly as much as orders on, uh, on the securitized markets to, to actually sell these loans into. So you are able to lend, so that's positive. But maybe it's also important for our audience to hear that, yes, you are able to do bridge loans. You are very willing to do it. Uh, and that also, maybe we can also touch on mezzanine and JV opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important also that our audience hears from you that uh, what type of assets and what type of sponsors you're looking for that these type of, of loans as well as JB Investments or Mezzanine loans are actually working?
0: Yeah, I would say that um, definitely right now um, on those bridge loans, we're just like what you said, we feel like we're in a great position in that we're able to uh, utilize our balance sheet um, you know to place those loans, and if we need to hold them for the full term of the three years, and not you know try to sell them off into the CLO markets, which have definitely been upset the last six months or so, we feel like we're in a good position to do that, which has been great. Uh, but just what you said, the uh, the credit boxes are definitely tighter now than they were probably uh, you know six to twelve months ago. Uh, what we're looking for is is deals that probably have more. Of a direct path to a permanent agency or HUD or other kind of uh, you know a permanent financing home, uh, because really you know those deals that are going to take the full two to three years of a bridge term to get there, we're just seeing that a lot of those deals we've got in our por- portfolio they hit a lot of hiccups during that term and they're having more difficulty kind of staying the course, especially here through COVID. And so what we're looking at is, you know, Hey, maybe it's a deal that's, um, you know, had a poor management play and they've let the occupancy fall, but it's still cash flowing fairly decently. It's not, you know, at a point five debt cover and at, you know, 60 to 70% occupied right now uh, you know, it's something that's more, you know, 80, 85% right now. The sellers have, you know, the management group has let it lag, lag a little bit. And we can just see this market is running at 93 to 95% for this kind of space. We can check comps and see that and see the decline in what's happened there. And if we have a good sponsor that's willing to come in, put some money behind it, we don't need it to be a ton of funds. Honestly, these days we're, we're that's one other thing that we're a little bit more less focused on, I would say is, you know, those big, heavy, value add lifts where you're gonna be putting, you know, 10 plus thousand dollars into the deal, you know, that's, that's not necessarily something that we see as a, as a super positive right now because, you know, there's lots of other issues going on right now, um, trying to keep occupancies even in stabilized deals today. So really, if you're planning to, hey, the sellers have let things lag, occupancies down a little bit, it needs a little bit of love to kind of make sure we keep the, the momentum going on the leasing, that's the kind of deal that we're going to get very aggressive on. Like I said, up to that same 80, you know, 75 to 80% of the cost basis. Um, And, uh, and with rates that are going to be, you know, in the, in the mid, you know, mid threes or so over, uh, over an index, you can have a a sub 4%, um, you know, bridge term to start with here and, and uh, you know, run that thing out for a couple of years and it may work, uh, a little bit better to have an agency exit or a, or a HUD exit, whatever your plan is, in about 18 to 24 months versus 24 to 36 months that we were seeing before.
1: Very good. So, uh, is it fair to say that uh, uh, obviously, besides the assets, the market that you are considering is very important as well as the sponsor strength? in terms of not just financial strength, but also experience. In the past, a lot of these bridge loans were done, I do not say with Hunt, but certainly with some other bridge lenders, uh, where the experience uh, by the sponsors definitely wasn't there, but uh, they were still able to get bridge loans. Uh, Today, I think more than ever, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, the experience by the sponsors is definitely a, a, a crucial piece here.
0: I would say absolutely. Um, I would say that honestly, you know, the the financial strength covenants kind of are what they are. Um, you know, there's no set, despite some things you may hear from other, you know, agency folks out there, there are guidelines of what we'd like to see net worth, liquidity, that kind of thing be. There's no hard and fast rules. So, I mean, as long as, as we've got, as a lender, a good sense of who the sponsor is and what their financial strength is, and we feel comfortable that if something were to happen, that they'd be able to you know, come up with the funds needed to keep the property afloat and keep the loan going, you know, we, can, we can determine that however we see fit, as long as it's within a general range of what the agencies generally see, our credit folks even on the bridge side will follow behind that just what you said, the more important thing is experience and showing a track record of, Hey, you know, if we're going to do something that's a little bit more outside the box, something that is, um, you know, going to take a little bit more of a value add lift, or it's got more of a story to it to kind of turn something into a great stabilized property. That's where we're really going to rely on the experience. And so if, if, you know, for your listeners out there, If if you've got a little bit less, this is your first or your second deal, or maybe you've been doing uh, some duplexes or other kinds of rental properties previously, what you really want to do is go and find a partner for your first couple of deals to say, hey, this person I know has done three to five deals or more. They've got good track record, especially if they've got a track record in the individual market of the deal that you're looking at. That goes a long way to, for us on the lending side to say, you know, hey, even though we know these two guys maybe or this one guy doesn't have all you know, that much experience, he's partnered and there's another you know, co-guarantor of the loan here who's got really good experience in history. And so he's going to be advising them on that front they're gonna be learning the tricks of the trade here and they're gonna be building up, you know, their knowledge base with this first deal and combined they're generally within the range of the financial strength that we're looking for. And then that way on, you know, that deal goes through, hopefully everything goes great. And then on deal two, three and four, we as the lenders can then fall back on the original, you know, guarantor and say, hey, now he's got one deal under his belt. It's, it's, it's been operating well for 12 to 24 months here. You know, things are looking great. Let's, we don't necessarily need to have an additional guarantor brought in if the financial strength is, is going to be there at that point for whatever the, the loan size is going to be. So I would definitely say that, you know, in today's environment, partnering with folks who have great experience, but just the experience part of it in general is almost even more crucial than what the financial uh, wherewithal is.
2: Totally agree. Multifamily is a uh, team sport, right? No questions
0: asked. Absolutely.
1: Very good. Uh, we know you don't have a crystal ball, but uh, obviously we would still like to have your uh, your view of what's uh, uh, where we are going over the uh, the remainder of this year and then into uh, into 20. Uh, 21, uh, where, uh, where you have any, any kind of snippets that you could share or opinions from your end as well as hunt?
0: Yep. Um, what I'd say is uh, we're expecting a very robust end of the year here in terms of, uh, of more deal volume. Um, you know, like I said before, the agencies have their $80 billion cap levels they're not you know, really close to hitting those numbers. And so we have no indication from the agencies that they're going to be turning you know, the spigot off at the end of the year like we've seen in previous years in, in you know, late November, early December, where they're running up against their cap and they try to push business off into 20 into the following year. We're not expecting that necessarily. Um, however, the, the other part of this is obviously we've got some major milestones in our country coming up. There's an election in about a month and a half. That's going to be, you know, if, if it's anything like the election was, you know, three and a half years ago, that definitely put the markets into major turmoil immediately thereafter. Um, and so, with everything that everyone has seen on the news recently, you never know what's going to end up happening in in with a with a major election like that. So, what we're advising our folks is, you know, volumes have been very strong, but at a, and so whereas the agencies. May not necessarily, you know, have any, um, you know, volume concerns for the end of the year of getting deals done. What might end up happening is the back end bond buyers, the B, you know, the B-piece buyers and bond buyers who actually, you know, buy into the agency loans, they may start getting a little bit full because there's been so much volume this this year, and maybe they start, you know, backing off on the amount of deals that they get involved with, and as a result of that. It could be spreads starting to go up, and and whenever there's volatility kind of in the markets in general, whether it be from social unrest or elections or you know COVID related, if there's another spike or what have you, you know all of that could lead to higher spreads down the line. So we don't expect Treasuries to go up. We think spreads might go up if uh, you know if some of this stuff comes to fruition. So. Talk to your lender, get in front of them now as much as you possibly can and start discussing options. Even if you think a deal is not quite ready just yet, or you're still a little bit early on, uh, on the bidding process or what have you, go ahead and talk to your lender, whoever that might be, um, and just talk about what options might be available and see if you can't start you know, setting the table for those things to get done quickly because um, you know, one thing we've seen Uh, Fannie Mae is back with their streamlined rate lock in certain situations uh, for certain sponsors. So if you get a deal in and, and um, you know, you get it under application and you feel good that you're gonna be able to get this, get the thing closed, especially on a refinance, uh, you know, today, you feel a lot stronger about that. You can actually go in and do an, you know, what is equivalent of an early rate lock uh, where you lock in uh, the entire rate shortly after application. I'd say Fannie is looking for that to be maybe not shortly after application as much today, but maybe a couple weeks in where they've got a really good sense of third parties are good. You know, If you're looking at the green, the green reports are in, stuff like that. But that is available now where it wasn't back uh, during the, the COVID quarantine times. Uh, and Freddie Mac is, is doing their index lock again in certain situations as well. So you know, obviously Freddie Mac still holds their spreads Whenever they, uh, whenever they quote a deal and, and a deal goes under application. So your spread, you've got a good amount of time. You've got that 45 to 60 days to get the deal done, but you can also go in and just lock your index with Freddie Mac as well uh, on those deals and make sure that your rate is, is set and ready to go. So if you've got any concerns about things like that coming down the pike, maybe uh, kind of on the macro level, um, it's a good time to kind of talk to your lender and see if you can, uh, see if you can get something put aside.
1: Great. Uh, all uh, absolutely great information you provided us here, uh, Colin. And yeah, definitely uh, thanks a source for, of
2: uh, wealth of information there, Colin. So thank you.
1: Yeah, so, definitely. digesting everything, trying to think about what we're going to go do
2: now business-wise, <laughs> you know, from all that. I,
0: I know. There are so many options right now, and there's a lot of different nuances with everything. So, you know, the best thing you can do is, is just reach out and ask questions because, uh, you know, any lender who's worth his salt will know, that there's always going to be unique circumstances with almost every single deal. That's never one size fits all. So you always got to know, okay, here's where we think we can push on this. Here's the troubles that we might see on that. And you can work out with your borrowers to find out the best option that works for them.
2: Absolutely. And so speaking of reaching out, how can uh, listeners get a hold of you?
0: Um, you can always reach out. Um, you know, my, my uh, email address uh, is colin.cross at huntrealestatecapital.com. I've got to go ahead and forewarn everybody here. This may be a, a a market in time because we just heard yesterday that we're actually going to be rebranding our company uh, into a whole new, probably something short and sweet. That's going to have a, 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 you know, a really, you know, sharp bite to it as a name or what have you. So no one knows what it is yet on our end. So I say huntrealestatecapital.com right now, but that could change very soon. So uh, if you ever need anything though, uh, I'm based here in Dallas. Um, you know, Anton has my information. Uh, Ferris has my information and I'm always available. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, via email as well. And we're always happy to uh, have a conversation and uh, see what we can do to help.
1: Awesome. Very good. Thank you very much. Colin. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again, Colin. Uh, it was really great to have you on. And uh, We look forward to work with you for the rest of the year and the years to come, whatever the name may may be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We look forward to it as well, Anton.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Take care, guys.
0: Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Peak Market Watch. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you're interested in receiving a free commercial real estate loan quote for your property, click the link in the description. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Peak Market Watch.